Good morning, everybody. Uh, let me pray for us before we start. <clears throat> Father, we just sang these old words from the 16th century, um, and they feel uh, incredibly true in this moment. We sang about um, hearts prepared and hearts dismayed, finding strength and solace in you and in your name. And so you know that that's true of us. Every one of us here this morning, we're somewhere in that place, somewhere on that scale. You know those of us here this morning who are prepared and who are ready and hungry and thirsty to hear from you, who feel close to you. And you know those of us here this morning who feel dismayed for some reason. You feel far away from us or we have been running away from you or we don't even know if you're real or we don't even know why we're here. So, Father, we ask that you would meet every single one of us in exactly the place where we find ourselves this morning, that you would show us the love and the grace of our older brother Jesus, and that you would change us by it. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to start a a new series of sermons this morning. Between now and the beginning of Advent, we're going to read uh, Paul's letter to the Galatian church together. Uh, It is one of uh, the first letters of his that we have. Uh, We can't know exactly for sure, but it's probably among the first two or three letters that he wrote. Some people think it may have even been the first letter that he ever uh, wrote to a church. I don't know, but it is definitely his most intense and his most impassioned letter. I mean, almost from the first line, you can feel the heat coming off of this thing. Uh, James Dunn, who taught New Testament at the University of Durham, called Galatians theology in the raw. And that great church father, Chrysostom, said that this letter breathes an indignant spirit. (laughs) So you should read Galatians through in one sitting this afternoon. If you do, you will see that they were right. Uh, Paul is pugnacious and defiant and hot in this letter. And I think that there was good reason for it because Paul was writing about freedom. Freedom to know God, freedom for us to be called his children, freedom for us to be able to call him father, freedom to experience his love for us, freedom to live lives of love and service in this world, freedom to be the humans that God has created us to be. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That's what Paul says to his friends in this church. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. For freedom. And now he's concerned that maybe they're giving up Jesus' hard-won gift of freedom, and he is not going to let that happen without a fight. Galatians is about the essence of the Christian faith. It is about what following this Jesus who won freedom for us really means. So let me read the first few verses of this letter for us. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But if even we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is God's word, and it is given for our good. So uh, I'm imagining uh, in a group of people this size, at least some of you uh, have seen this movie I want to talk about. Some of you have probably seen um, Alfred Hitchcock's apocalyptic classic film, uh, The Birds. Uh, If you haven't seen The Birds, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I am going to tell you about the plot because the plot is super easy uh, to summarize. Here's the plot for the birds. Um, Birds. (laughs) All of the birds, for no discernible reason, turn on human beings. That is the plot for the birds. And there's a scene uh, around the middle of that movie where Tippi Hendren, she's the lead uh, in the movie, she plays this scene that is justifiably famous. She sits down outside of a rural schoolhouse. And from inside the schoolhouse, these unseen children are singing this creepy version of this old American folk song. And that's all you can hear during this scene. It's just these kids singing this creepy song. And for the rest of the scene, which is about a minute and a half long, we see Tippy only from two angles. The first angle that we see her from is with the schoolhouse over her shoulder. And then the second angle that we see her from is with a playground over her shoulder, some playground equipment. Those are the only two ways that we see her, and she's not looking at any of it. She's looking straight ahead. So the first time we see the playground equipment, one crow flies in and lands on it. And then the shot cuts to her with the schoolhouse behind her for a few seconds. And then it cuts back to the playground equipment, and now there are four crows on the playground equipment. Then it cuts to the schoolhouse for a few seconds, and then back to the playground equipment, and there are five crows on it and then to the schoolhouse, and you hear the creepy music. And then the scene shifts back to the playground equipment, and there are eight crows on it. And then she sees this crow flying through the air, and her eye follows it, and the camera follows it, until it lands behind her on the playground equipment, and she turns to look at the playground equipment and discovers to her horror (laughs) that now there are hundreds and hundreds of crows on that playground equipment. It is a chilling scene. And part of the reason that it's chilling is because it happens so fast. It is unexpected. It goes from eight to hundreds like that. It is abnormally 
quick. And I can't help but thinking that there is a similar sense of shock, a similar sense of surprise and maybe horror inside the Apostle Paul when he wrote that little line in the part of the letter that we just read together when he wrote, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. He didn't know how to put it any more delicately than that. Paul is caught off guard. He is, with the wind knocked out of him, staggering back on his heels. It has happened so fast. So he just says what he thinks unfiltered. I cannot believe you are doing this so quickly. I cannot believe that you are leaving him. Now, church, these are incredibly strong words. They're the whole reason that Paul is writing this letter. He founded the church in Galatia. He loves these people. He refers to these people as his children. He told them about Jesus. They believed about in Jesus. They started with him, making their way as followers of Jesus. And now word has come back to him in an incredibly short period of time. We don't know exactly how long. That now they're doing things, or at least they're thinking about doing things, that undermine the essence of their faith in Jesus. And so he is coming out of his skin to let them know that if they do this, they're not just walking away from him. They are walking away from Jesus himself. And so, church, that's why we have this anxious forceful, desperate, beautiful letter. And it starts pretty much like every other letter did in the first century. Paul identifies himself. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through a man. Now, we hear that word apostle, and if we've been in the church at all, even for just a short period of time, it's a really familiar word to us. It's a real churchy word, apostle. It's hard to uh, think that there was a time when that word just referred to, to something like a sent one, just someone who was sent by someone somewhere, a delegate. It's the early church that had begun to use that word in a very specialized way to refer to the people that had seen the risen Jesus and had been sent out by the risen Jesus into mission in the world. Now this, of course, immediately puts Paul on the back foot, as far as some people were concerned. And the way that he had chosen to live his life when he was young did not help him much at all. Even Paul knows that he isn't an apostle like the other apostles. In one of his letters to the church at Corinth, he admits this. He says, I am the apostle who was untimely born. He had never hung out with Jesus. He never gotten a chance to hear Jesus teach in person. In fact, when we first meet Paul, what we learn is that he hates everything that the first Christians stand for. More to the point, we discover that he hates Christians. Paul's the guy who stood around and held the coats when the first Christian martyr was stoned. And we're told by Luke in the book of Acts that he approved of his execution. And church, something happened in Paul's head. In his heart, in his soul that day, some dark cord got struck. And from that moment on, he took it upon himself to ravage the young church, breathing threats and murder against it, spending his days out rounding up Christians so that they can be thrown into prison. Paul 
was an awful, awful person. But then one day he's out on one of these prisoner roundup trips and he finds himself on this dusty little patch of road outside of Damascus. You can read about that later in Acts 9. There's this blinding flash of light and Paul falls to the ground. And uh, the, the nature of this thing that's happening to him is so extraordinary. Uh, it's so otherworldly that he's absolutely convinced that it must be God behind it. And so he says, who are you, Lord? And it would be an understatement to say that nothing, nothing, nothing could have prepared Paul for what he hears in answer to that question. Who am I? I am Jesus. (laughs) I'm the one that you're persecuting. And it wouldn't have been weird for Paul to think that the very next thing that should happen to him in that moment would be for the risen Jesus to just completely obliterate him. But instead... Jesus gives him a whole new life. He makes awful, awful Paul into a brand new person. And he gives him a new way to live in this world. Now there are probably 10,000 things that we could say about this, and maybe we'll talk about some of them, but in, in the future I just want to talk about one part of this, one thing that's true because of this moment. In one instance, in one second, Paul experiences something that will animate him, that will energize him, that will preoccupy him for the rest of his life. He experiences this thing that even today people will say he began to obsess over. This thing that he experienced will become such a part of his life, such a part of his teaching, his preaching, his work, his sweat, his blood, his tears, that right up until today there will be people who say, and there are people who say, this thing that he's obsessed over makes him reckless, it makes him irresponsible, and it makes him dangerous. On that dusty road outside of Damascus, Paul learned without any ambiguity, without any question, without any confusion, Paul learned that Jesus loved him even though he was awful. He had not earned Jesus' love, but he got it anyway. Paul had come face to face with the risen Jesus and it hit him hard and he was never the same again. He said, he loved me and he gave himself for me. Church, to believe that is what it means to be a Christian, not just for Paul, but for any of us. Paul learned the nature of Jesus' love. He learned what the nature of Jesus' love was really like And it redefined the nature of all love for him. And you want to know the word that Paul started using to describe the nature of Jesus' love? It is the word that the church has been using ever since. Grace. That is what he experienced on the road outside of Damascus. It is the Apostle Paul who looks at Jesus face to face, who experiences Jesus face to face, 
who looks at how Jesus inhabits love face to face, who contemplates on the nature of Jesus' love, and he gives us a word for it. And it becomes that dangerous and life-giving and red-blooded and threatening word. Grace. So it is no surprise at all that once all of the necessary preliminaries are out of the way, the very first thing that Paul says to the church in Galatia to his friends is this. Grace to you. I want you to have grace. For Paul, knowing the grace of Jesus and experiencing the grace of Jesus through faith is enough And it will always be enough to make people like you and me into the people that we were created to be. I'm going to say that again because if there's only one thing you hear this morning, I would be fine if this was it. Knowing the grace of Jesus and experiencing the grace of Jesus through faith is enough. And it will always be enough to change us into the people that we were created to be. Not faith and a whole bunch of other stuff. Not faith in Jesus and then being good. Not faith in Jesus and then saying things the right way most of the time. Not faith in Jesus and doing the right stuff. Not faith in Jesus and being an awesome parent. Not faith in Jesus and having the right politics. Not faith in Jesus and being the one good friend that everybody in your circle has. None of it. I mean, Paul was horrible. (laughs) Actively horrible. Until the moment he met Jesus. He had done nothing to commend himself to the love and mercy of Jesus. But all he got was the love and mercy of Jesus. And peace and forgiveness and new life. And church, that is how we get that too. That forgiveness, that peace, that love, that mercy, that new life. That's how it comes to us too. By grace, through faith in the risen Jesus. So if you're like me, and you have forgotten that like I do almost every day, and you need to believe it again and live into and out of the truth of that, do it today. (laughs) Or if you're here and you've never believed that, I'm telling you, today is your day. Put your faith in Jesus and be made new. Be set free. That day on the road outside of Damascus clarified the story of the world for Paul. He had thought it was one thing, and then he saw the risen Jesus and he realized the story of the world is not what I thought it was, it is this. It clarified everything for him, and so he situates his friends into that true story of the world right away. He does it in shorthand in verses 3 and 4. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to talk more about the story of the world 
next week and as we work our way through this letter. But for now, it is, I think, good for us to know that Paul is not working off of some irrelevant minutiae. He is not working off some esoteric page of some subset of arcane, nerdy theology. He is talking about the long game. (laughs) He's talking about the true story of the world. Life like people like you and I live it every single day. He knows he has a place in it. He he knows his friends have a place in it. And we have a place in it. And so then Paul just jumps in. I'm, I'm astonished. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Church, this is a massive accusation. This is the theology in the raw. This is that indignant spirit that we talked about earlier. Paul is putting it to his friends as starkly as he can. He's saying, look, you're not just believing something weird that's wrong. You are walking away from God. You are turning to a different gospel. Now, when Paul uses that word gospel, he's just using the word that Jesus used to talk about what he came to embody, what he came to live out and do for his people and for this world. Gospel means good news. It is an announcement. And when Jesus first started preaching, this is what he said. He told everybody to turn away from every other way of living and being and believe the good news that he had come to announce and enact and embody in love. For Jesus and for Paul, this good news was not a teaching, is not a teaching, was not a philosophy, is not a philosophy, was not a religion, is not a religion that you can try on for size if you want to. It's not a set of wisdom teachings or good advice or a collection of helpful adages that you might find useful if you would like them. It is an announcement about the reality of the world as we live in it right now. It is the true story of the world. And at the heart of that true story was the fact that Jesus is Lord and he humbled himself. He gave himself on the cross so that we can be forgiven and made new. So that the whole creation can be restored to the peace and justice that it was created in in the first place. In one of his other letters, here's how Paul says it. He says, through Christ, God is reconciling the whole world to himself, making peace through the cross. That is the gospel. That is the true story of the world that you and I live in. That's what's happening all around us right now. And for Paul, the way to receive that reconciliation, the way to enter into that story, the way to live out that story is through faith in Jesus, and that's it. We don't earn it. We don't get ourselves ready for it. We don't 
have to convince God that we're worthy of it. We don't have to jump through hoops to get the full benefit of it. It is ours, as Paul will say over and over again, it is ours by grace through faith. Because Grace Church is not just God's loving disposition to us in Jesus. It is definitely that. But grace is also the incredible power of that love working in us to make us into the people we were created to be. Grace is definitely God's loving disposition to us in Jesus, but it is the power of love working in us to change us as well. So for Paul, there really isn't any other reality. There is no other story to live in truthfully. That's what he means when he says, not that there is another gospel, but Paul writes, there are some who trouble you and who want to distort this good news of Christ. And this is the first indicator that we have that Paul knows that there are people who have come in behind him after he left Galatia and taught them some things that he had not taught them. All we know about these people who had come in, we know just from reading this letter. We'll talk about them in the coming weeks because Paul does too, but for now it's probably helpful to know that these folks had come into Galatia and they had told Paul's friends there's something different about what it meant for them to be Christian than what Paul had taught them. And at its base it went something like this. Hey, you've made a good start at being Christian. But in order to be really pleasing to God, in order to grow up in your faith, in order to make good progress as Christians, you need some more. You need to do more things. You need to observe more things. And when you do that, you'll be all set. So we'll get to the specifics of that later, but you can already see why this would set Paul's teeth on edge because it runs contrary to the grace that courses through the heart of the gospel that he had told them, that knowing the grace of Jesus and experiencing the grace of Jesus through faith is enough, and it will always be enough to change people like us into the humans that God created us to be. It will always be enough. We don't need anything else. It's so fundamental to Paul. It is so fundamental to Paul that he will become dramatic about it. He's fine with becoming dramatic about it. He will go out on a limb about it. He will get angry about it. And so that's why he says, not one time, but two times, listen, if I come to you, if anyone else comes to you, if an angel from heaven comes to you, I don't care, let them be accursed. If they tell you anything different, let them be accursed. It is the strongest denunciation that's available to Paul. He feels so strongly about it, he's fine putting himself in the category. Listen, if I come, if anyone else comes, if an angel comes, then let them be given over to God to be judged and condemned. Don't let it happen. And this language is a witness to just how important these things are. And... Here's the thing, church, and I, we, we, need to, we need to hear this and grasp it. I have no doubt, listen, as, 
as surprised as Paul was at the situation at that church that he loved. That church must have been incredibly surprised to get this letter from Paul. It must have been a shock to read this. I will bet it messed them up. I'm sure they were thinking, well, Paul, I mean, we want to please God. We, we want to follow Jesus. We want to do the right thing. We want to grow up in our faith. We thought that they were just telling us how to do that. What are you talking about? I'm sure it was unsettling. And Paul is going to get to those questions. But first, he wants to make sure that the first thing is first and that they get it right. And that is the heart of this letter for them and for me and for you. Is faith working itself out in love enough or not? In church, the answer is as clear as it is bracing for people like us. And that is that knowing the grace of Jesus, experiencing the grace of Jesus through faith, it is enough, and it will always be enough to change us into the people we were created to be. Faith in Jesus leads to freedom. Let me pray for us. Father, use whatever you need to use to help people like us remember this, that this is true, that you, you love us even when we are awful. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people who remember this. Use each other here sitting with us. Use stuff that we read or think or, or see. Use your word. Use prayer. Use whatever you have to remind us again and again that this is really good news. And that what Jesus has done for us is enough. Keep us from all of the crazy, weird roads that not believing that takes us down. Father, do this for our good. Do this for the good of the broken world all around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.